Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this is our new interview format episode that we're going to be releasing every other Friday. Yeah, that's our goal. And you know why we're doing this? We get so many books sent to us for consideration to talk about on the show. And we have always felt bad that we couldn't talk about more of them because there's so much good coming out out there. So we thought, okay, we're going to start these new episodes where we get to talk to the author or the expert in a little bit more depth than we do on our usual episodes. Yeah, because our expert things tend to be like 20 minutes in the middle of stuff. And this allows us to do a little bit more of a deep dive with people on the topics that they're talking about. Some of these people are going to be intellectual, famous books. Some of them are going to be funny people who you know from the internet. It's going to be a wacky, fun, smart, wide range of guests, we're hoping. <laughs> well said. Did I oversell that, Amy? No, no, no. Yeah, it was, it's perfect. It's going to be presidents, leaders of humanity. <laughs> no, it's just going to be like some people who we are interested in. Our first guest, this is the perfect person to kick this off with, Tina Payne Bryson. She has a new book called The Bottom Line for baby. It is an actual A to Z guide for every kind of controversy and question like, should I, is it okay to drink alcohol while I'm breastfeeding? This book has an A to Z guide with all of the science explained. If you are a new mom or you have a new mom in your life, this episode is going to be perfect for her. Or if you're an old mom and you just want to be like, wow, did I blow that? This would be also good. For <laughs> did I overthink that or not? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I might have gotten some of those wrong. It's a funny conversation and uh, I hope you enjoy it and look forward to more of these. Our guest today is Dr. Tina Payne Bryson. She's the founder and executive director of the Center for Connection, a multidisciplinary clinical practice. She is the co-author of two New York Times bestsellers, The Whole Brain Child and No Drama Discipline, as well as The Yes Brain and The Power of Showing Up. Dr. Bryson keynotes conferences and conducts workshops for parents, educators, and clinicians all over the world. She lives in LA with her husband and three children. And her new book is The Bottom Line for Baby, From Sleep Training to Screens, Thumb Sucking to Tummy Time, What the Science Says. Tina, thanks for talking to us today. Oh, I'm so glad to be here with you. 
We have kind of a vibe on the podcast, which is that one of us really loves research. That's Amy and figuring things out and is pretty convinced there's a book out there that will solve every problem. (laughs) I've read them all. And one of us is like, eh, people have been doing this for thousands and thousands of years and we'll basically figure it out by instinct. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you're more of an Amy than a Margaret. I'm a little more of an Amy and thank God my husband's a little more of a Margaret. So Uh, (laughs) it's true. You kind of got to have the balance. You do. And I think what's really become a problem for me, I have three boys and I'm a reader and I'm an information junkie. And I think the bigger problem around this is that I score really high on the conscientiousness scale. Oh, yeah. Which means I have high standards. I like things done a certain way. I think there are better and worse ways to do things. And that doesn't always make me easy to live with. So I have a little bit of a cried wolf situation with my boys because... And it's unfortunate because I've read the studies, right? And I'll be like, okay, this COVID thing is going to be a thing. And this is very serious. Everyone and my boys and my husband, who hasn't really read anything yet. Here goes Ma. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like I've learned kind of my best way is to either like tell my friend who I know will tell her boys and then her boys will tell my son. (laughs) It's like this whole manipulative thing. I have to whatever you do. Don't do this. Don't wash your hands. Exactly. Yeah, but I do. I definitely a science geek. I love all that stuff. I think because when I started, I was working on a PhD studying interpersonal neurobiology and child rearing theory while I was having young, young babies. And so I was learning all of this stuff. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this helps me understand so much why my kid is completely falling apart because his goldfish cracker fell in half, like broken half. Yeah. And it's like the end of the world. And I was like, oh, gosh, parents need to know this. And so really, that's been my life's work has been to take the science and the info and make it accessible for parents in ways that are practical. And I really do. And in the new book, The Bottom Line for Baby, My hope is that when parents read it, they can relax about most things they think are life and death decisions. You say in the book, in the introduction, that we get overwhelmed as parents because, one, there is a lot of information, but so much of it is contradictory. Is that? Do you think that's something that's specific to child rearing or is that common in science? And I just don't know because I don't do other research. I think it's common in a lot of fields, even in the medical field. I'll tell you actually one example of this is that the two world's leading experts, researchers on circumcision are completely opposed to each other. And both of them claim strongly that there's no more argument, that the verdict is in, you know, so, and that's a medical thing. So sorry, the verdict being either everybody should get their boy circumcised because it's medically sound and nobody should ever do it again. Are those the two sides? Yeah. So, and the way I lay out the book, which is really fun, it's alphabetical. So you can turn to see circumcision. So within just a few minutes, you can get the two competing <laughs> arguments. And these two researchers, one argument says it is medically beneficial. It keeps boys at less, much less risk for all kinds of health issues, including cancers and urinary tract infections, things like that. And then the other world leading expert says, no, it's mutilation. It's a healthy body part. Why would we remove a part of our children's bodies that's healthy? And those risks are so minimal and can be mitigated very easily. So (laughs) these two experts are like, there's no more question. There's no more debate. Well, clearly there is, you know. So what I do in the book on every entry is I'll lay out the two competing arguments or at least the two main ones. Then there's a section called what the science says, and it gives a summary of what is the current state of 
science. And sometimes there's not good science. And then I give a bottom line. And then in about a third of the entries, I leave a personal note in there about something ridiculous I did as a parent or something I overthought or something I would do differently. You know, there's one example of that that I really liked, which was baby signing. You talked about that in the book. And that's the perfect example. Like baby signing is so crucial. You must do it. Baby signing is stupid and it doesn't work. Like those are the sort of the two opinions, right? Yeah. And you talk about the science, which, which if I can paraphrase what you're saying, I think you were like, it's, you know, it's kind of inconclusive, but then there's a long sort of section, not long. It's a two page section where you say, here's how it worked for me. For me, it was great. It was helpful. It's not about making my kid a genius. It's about helping my kid communicate with me sooner. And for me, it was really, really kind of nice. But you didn't include that in the bottom line because your opinion on it is sort of separate. Yeah, I worked super hard in this book to be very objective. I think that, you know, science, of course, can be biased, but it's the best thing we've got. And we've got to be really critical thinkers when we read the science. But, you know, there were times I just like when I would dig into this stuff and sometimes the science would say, hey, this is fine to do, but I would feel uncomfortable about that as a parent. I would tell that. So, but I would keep the science, the science, and I would keep the bottom line, the bottom line. But then if I felt like I wanted to weigh in or say, here's what I did differently, or here's why I disagree with that, that's in my own personal note. So I really worked hard to keep this objective because I think a lot of other books, particularly around child rearing, are full of opinions. And people's opinions are helpful. But the reason I even wrote this book is as a new mom, because I'm a overthinker, overreader, studier, I would get into this stuff and then I would find this completely competing advice. And not only just from what I was reading, but from my neighbor and my mom. And, you know, I would just get all this differing advice. And sometimes I felt paralyzed, like, what do I do? And so this book, within just a couple minutes, will let you kind of get into that. And also, I think it's a great tool to like hand to people who are criticizing your parenting and be like, read this. (laughs) (laughs) You can hit them with it. Exactly. (laughs) That's what's important when people are criticizing your parenting. I thought one thing that strikes me about this book is it's very similar, I think, to what we try to do on the podcast, which is that Amy does a deep dive on research about a topic. And then I kind of talk anecdotally about what's real and actual in terms of how that's going. So like sleep tends to be an issue like that. Picky eating, they'll eat when they're hungry, studies show and this and that. And picky eating is a biological imperative for these three reasons. And it's like, okay, that's all very interesting. But I am dying every night at the dinner table because I have one kid who no matter how long and hard I work at this, says the food looks like vomit and won't eat it. And I then get furious at him and it ruins the whole night. You're like, eat your damn chicken. Right. Like, I love all the research. Also, research changes a lot, right? Yes. So we often have the experience with our own moms where they're like, well, back in my day, we let the kids sleep any way they wanted and put six teddy bears in with them. And it's like, right. But so since then, there's been some actual medical research that suggests that that's (laughs) dangerous for these eight reasons, you know? Yeah. You're like, my baby could die. I'm not doing that. But I like the balance of anecdotal and research because I think they both play a really important role. They do. I think it's so my goal and hope for this book is that 
when parents read it. And it's not the kind of book you have to read cover to cover, which I think is a really smart. I mean, I've written a lot of those books that I love. but Really nice because those late nights, you're like, I don't really have the whole novel in me. Just give me, tell me the answer to this question. Yeah. It's like my best friend's dad is literally like worked for NASA. Like he's a rocket scientist engineer guy. And we were laughing the other day about how she would tell her boys, like, go over and see grandpa to help him, you know, with your math or whatever. And they're like, we don't want to go because he really wants us to understand everything from the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. And we just need to know how to do this one problem. You know, like it's that kind of thing. This is totally, my mom made my brother my tutor in math and I was horrible at math. Like I could not do times tables and my brother was a math genius and it basically always devolved into a fight where he was like, how can you not understand the Pythagorean <laughs> theorem? And I'm like, I can't even pronounce that. Like add 17 <laughs> yeah. plus 42. So please leave me alone. I mean, just you can just turn to the subject you want to read about where you have to make a decision. And my hope is that parents will walk away from this book going, wow, there are really only a few things, like very few things that are actually as huge as I think they are. Uh. I think especially with our firstborns, every decision feels like such a like life important decision. Like if I don't do this right, you know, if I feed them vegetables after I feed them fruit when they're first starting, like who knows, they may grow up to live in a van down by the river, right? It's, we feel like they're all so crucial, but I think parents will walk away from this book going, okay, great. I'm empowered with some new knowledge. And now I know I don't have to worry about this or wow, this one's really important. And there's really strong science about this. And one of those things is actually surprisingly parentees. It used to be called motheries, but this is talking to our babies with long syllables. So if you're like, oh, did you see the doggy? Right. Like that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. People say like, you should talk to your baby. Don't talk to them like a baby. Talk to them. They're taking in all your adult language or whatever. The science is super clear on this, that parentees is super good for babies. Really? Yeah. Why is that? They prefer that language. Just like music and singing, actually, music was another surprise for me. It has like these incredible healing properties, especially for babies who have had medical things or who have been in ICU. It develops their brains, including not just the auditory cortex, but the prefrontal cortex. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. But Parentese is similar in that it's got that rhythmic sing-songy kind of tone quality to it. But as we elongate our vowels, it actually allows them to encode those sounds in a quicker way, in a better way. So that was one that's like, oh yeah, that's a good one. That's an important one. But we have something on the podcast that we call the thousand year rule. And that is like a touchstone for me. Like, have people been doing this thing throughout human history? (laughs) It's probably a good idea. Yeah. Like if it is something that is instinctively done by mothers throughout history, I think, and that's like parentees, motheries, that fits in that category. Absolutely. You see people doing it naturally. They didn't read a book to learn how to do that trick. Yeah. That's probably a good sign. Like swaddling is something else I use as, as an example of that. Yeah. People have done it throughout human history. Like, it seems like it's past the thousand year rule test. What about swaddling? What can you tell us about swaddling? Yeah, swaddling is absolutely a great idea if you do it safely, right? So there are ways to do it where your baby's swaddled tighter at the top, but a little bit looser at the bottom. Some babies have had hip and joint issues when the swaddle's too tight for them to not move their legs. But this is one of those things that's like, okay, if I do it too loose on the bottom, though, they're going to just kick it out. Kick it out, right. 
it's not going to work. And then this blanket going to go on their face. And so that's one of those things that like, if it works for your baby, it can help them keep themselves from startling themselves doing that reflex to wake themselves up. So but as soon as baby starts to be more mobile, you take the swaddle away. I think it was really interesting too. like, you know, there are so many things that people fight big time about. And I'm gonna have to put on my big girl pants because you know, I hate conflict and controversy. I just want people to be nice. <laughs> and I'm about to probably get trolled by a bunch of people because, you know, I talk about the science of vaccines and I talk about the science of sleep training and co-sleeping, like all the most controversial things are in this book. But, you know, it's so like there's there was stuff that really surprised me. Some of the new stuff that's out there since I had babies is introducing allergenic foods early, like peanuts and strawberries at four to six months, you know, like that kind of stuff, obviously watching for choking hazards, just give that little disclaimer, like don't give your baby Benadryl on an airplane, because it might make him more hyper, you know, there's all kinds of really good things in there. But you know what, I think in some ways, what was fun about this book is that some of the things we worry about, we don't need to worry about. And some of the things we didn't know we should worry about, we should pay attention to it, little things, not life and death. But for instance, white noise machines that we put in our baby's rooms, those can be actually, the decibels on them can be too high and can actually impact their hearing. Oh my goodness. And you can check that like with an iPhone app or is there, is there an easy way to? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then you can experiment, like put your iPhone phone app or put your iPhone in the crib and put the sound machine around, you know, in different places, kind of far away from the baby. Yeah. The, on that one, it's like decibels, distance and duration. So loud noises for long periods of time can hurt our baby's ears. But I think that the big thing that I, there is actually a bottom line of the bottom line. Okay, let's take a break. And when we come back, Tina, we want you to tell us about the bottom line to the bottom line. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby's skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer 
protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Okay, we're back and we're going to get to it. All right. Dr. Tina Bryson is here talking to us and she's going to talk to us about the bottom line of the bottom line. What have you got for us? Yeah, my favorite part of this book, even though it's full of all these alphabetical entries, is the introduction and the conclusion, because that's where I get to just kind of talk ideas, you know, in a holistic way. And the bottom line of the bottom line is most of what we think is such an important decision doesn't often matter all that much. And that the bottom line of the bottom line is clear that and this is actually written about quite in depth in my book with Dan Siegel called The Power of Showing Up, which is that one of the best predictors based on 50 years of cross-cultural research that determines how well kids turn out is that they've had what's called secure attachment with their parent. It's not the same thing as attachment parenting, not at all, just to be clear about that. But really what this means is we need to love the hell out of our babies and our kids. And we want them to feel in the power of showing up. We talk about the four S's, helping babies and kids feel safe and seen so we understand them and we understand the mind behind their behavior and we really tune into who they are and soothed. We help them when they're having a hard time and that repeatedly, not perfectly, we can mess up all the time as parents, but as long as we help them feel safe, seen and soothed enough, then they develop this secure attachment, which is not just like a warm, fuzzy feeling, but actually where their brains are wired to have their prefrontal cortex better developed, which is the foundation of social emotional intelligence, academic excellence, mental health, you know, all of that. But it also allows their brains to get wired so that they can show up for themselves and keep themselves safe and understand themselves and soothe themselves and all of that. So besides just really caring for our babies and building trust, most of the rest of it, you know, obviously we've got the safe stuff, like, you know, watching them near water and putting them in their car seats and all of that. But I had a best friend growing up and we went to college together and we even shared a wedding dress. We were like super, super close. And she and I both had a baby within a week of each other, our firstborns. And she and I did almost everything completely opposite of each other, which was really interesting. Wow. And you know what? Both of our kids are now 20. Those babies are now 20. And her kid is awesome. Not perfect, but awesome. And my kid is not perfect, but awesome. So I think, you know, the big, huge things like even sleep training, which is super controversial. And and mutually exclusive, right? The research around that, like you were saying before, some of these things, the more you research, the more confused you can get. Oh, it's so confusing. And, you know, in that entry, I start with the definition. I mean, first of all, sleep training is kind of a funny phrase. I mean, you can train a baby to sleep earlier, but Sleeping is something that happens naturally. And by the time all kids are two or so, no matter what the parents did, they're usually all sleeping through the night. So that's one of those things that it's like we have put all this pressure, like your baby should be sleeping through the night by nine months. Well, not necessarily and not every kid. And so that's another big thing in this book is really paying attention to you and your family and what works for you and what works for your kid. I mean, every kid is different. If I had done a cry it out sleep training um, approach with my firstborn, I think it would have been super traumatic for him. Not, But I don't think it would have been traumatic for either of my other two kids. It just so depends on our kids. And the other thing is that the science is mutually exclusive. It's impossible to follow every scientific recommendation in this book to a T because some of them are in conflict with each other. For example, 
We know from the research that parents who are well-rested have lower rates of anxiety, depression, have less conflict with their co-parent. So those are really good. So parents, bottom line about sleep is get some sleep. But if you read the bottom line on feeding babies in those early months, they need to be fed on demand. And you may be getting up multiple times a night to do that. So yeah, yeah. all of our decisions are part of a web. And you know, another really conflictual topic, obviously, is breastfeeding. And people are so judgmental and so hard on each other. And I'm a big fan of breastfeeding. I breastfed for years, you know, combining my three boys. But I had a friend and people are so mean, you know, they're like, you know, breast is best. And if you don't breastfeed, you're doing your child a disservice. Well, you know what, there are a million ways to be a great parent. And I had a friend who wanted to breastfeed, but her milk production was so low. And she tried lots of interventions. And she was spending hours a day trying to pump and increase her milk production. And that meant she wasn't spending time with her baby. It was better for her baby to not breastfeed. And so that's why we should never judge each other and that every family and every kid is different. Things are in the context of a web of decisions that impact each other. And spoiler alert, that's how family life is going to be for the rest of your life. (laughs) Absolutely. I am part of a family of five. It is not possible to equally meet the needs of all five of us. Ever. At all times. There's so much stuff that we really can let go of. And by the way, one of the little things that surprised me was there is not enough science to definitively say that organic food will make your baby healthier. So like for you. Yeah. I want to unpack that a little bit. That So vegetables are better than cookies, but organic vegetables aren't more healthy than regular vegetables? So it depends on where you're sourcing it and all of that. But mm-hmm. yes, there's a lot of science on this, but it's not definitive. There's science on both sides saying that, you know, obviously the ones that are like the most absorbent things like strawberries and things like that. The bottom line of that one is if you feel better about it and you can afford it, go for it. But if you can't afford it or you don't feel like it's easy to do, you don't have to worry about it. So it's beneficial, but not incredibly, at least according to the science right now, which surprised me. That's what I like about this book, that I feel like it's research, which sometimes the more you research, the more confused and worried you get as a parent. But this leads you in, I'd say, an average of three pages per topic, right? Like, here's what the science says. Yeah. Here's the back and forth on it. And here's the middle ground that you can probably feel safe with. Yeah. You know, one of the ones I felt so like, you know, I did things with my babies and it was like not ideal and maybe I felt bad about it. And I felt a little vindicated when I did the research. And one of the big ones was that, okay, you guys, please tell me you did this too, but a pacifier drops on the ground. You're not near a sink. You don't have a bottle of water to rinse it off. We do the pop it in your mouth cleaning method. (laughs) Yes. And it's actually beneficial for babies when we do that or when we let them crawl around in dirty spaces, including even like rat dander. I know that sounds really gross, but babies who grew up around pets or who have parents who like spit wash their pacifiers and are not super sanitary have much lower rates of eczema and allergies. So the germs are a good thing. So that's a good one. This passes the thousand year test as well. As my grandma Conroy used to say, they have to eat a pound of dirt before they die. Yeah. That was the rule. What happens with our firstborn is like, you know, your kid eats dirt and you call the pediatrician. You know, your secondborn eats dirt and you wash their mouth out and give them a healthy snack. And your third one, you're like, oh, good. Now I don't have to feed them lunch. You know, you just get more relaxed with each kid. 
At my first birthing class, the leader said, everyone think about dirt. What does it taste like? And everyone was thinking, she's like, you know what it tastes like because you've eaten dirt. (laughs) Don't call the pediatrician when your kid eats dirt. I love that. For me, like the goal of our podcast is always to just help people like jump the line a little bit in terms of worrying because Margaret and I can offer the new parent the perspective of like, it's going to be okay to eat some dirt, right? And I feel like it's very helpful when as in your book, we can sort of dispel some myths that do hold us up and keep us up at night. Like, what's something that you can make the new parent listening feel better about right now? I think I want to say just in general that you can feel good about trusting your baby and trusting your instincts. But I want to give a caveat to that. I was talking with Dr. Aliza Pressman over the weekend, and she was like, yeah, but Tina, I mean, are all your instincts good ones? I was like, Mm. hell no. You know, sometimes my first instinct is to would be really horrible in that moment, you know, like a time I was playing board games with my kids and I got so mad I threw the dice across the room. We now refer to it as the Yahtzee incident. Yahtzee was (laughs) your first mistake. No offense. Oh, well, yeah. Who was doing that? Yeah, it was horrible. Yes. But you know what? Better than shoots and Ladders. The Caillou of board games. That game made me, <laughs> oh, it's the worst. Like, just when you think, thank God it's over, you know, it starts all over again. It's literally Dante's Inferno. You're just in the levels of hell. <laughs> it's so terrible. It's so terrible. But as long as we make repair with our kids after we have those ruptures, it's actually good for them when that happens. So that's a good thing. But I think that overall, I think really... What I mean by that with instincts is actually that's such an interesting word. We could, Amy, you and I could geek out long time on what we mean by <laughs> instincts because it's actually an, a really sophisticated physiological, neurological, biological system. So like when our babies cry and their cortisol levels go up, a parent who is the primary caregiver yep. will have their cortisol levels actually rise to match the babies. So it's like, it's not just like a, oh, I have an instinct. It's a really complex biological kind of thing that happens there. But that really, there are overall, we really can have those moments of instinct, but we should pause. And it should be something we're being intentional about. So I might have an instinct to yell at my kid. I'm not saying just follow that instinct, but I might have an instinct like my baby's crying in my mom's arms and she might have her feelings hurt if I go take the baby away from her. But my body is telling me, go to your baby. And I might pause and say, okay, what do I want to do right now? I want to be intentional. And I go, yeah, my baby's uncomfortable. I'm going to go regulate his stress right now by picking him up. So I don't mean just any gut instinct, but I mean an intentional, thoughtful instinct. And I really do believe it's kind of back to the thousand year rule, Margaret, that if we pay attention to our babies and if we're taking care of ourselves, meaning we're getting enough sleep, we have enough support. If we have a trauma history, we've done some of that work to deal with that so we don't get triggered very easily, that we really can trust ourselves and trust our babies. I think that's right. And then I also think there's an element, which I think this book is smart about, which is Another element of that universe for me is trusted expert. So we were talking about it on our back to school episode about sending our kids back in this time where there are so many pieces of information. None of them match. It is the absolute yeah, you're right. microcosm of this whole thing that we're talking about, right? It is. It's like, don't wear a mask. That's crazy. Everyone in a mask all the time. That's the only thing that will save us. Like, we're on this roller coaster. It is, yeah. And so 
I go back to this idea that I had when I had little kids, which is like, trust my instincts, but also always have a trusted expert. And for me, my sister-in-law's mom, who has been part of my life for 30 years, pediatrician. And it's like, that's my phone a friend person, right? So like, I think I'm doing pretty well with this sleep thing. I've read a couple things. I've got a system. It's working for me. But then when it comes to, let's just go for it with vaccinations. Like I've heard a lot of stuff that seems scary. I mean, I had kids, whatever. This is 12 years ago, kind of maybe at the height of some of the vaccine debate things. Right. And I'm like, I'm going to call in my trusted expert, a pediatrician of 35 years who loves me and loves my kids. What do you think about vaccines? To which she responds, vaccines? Involves some danger and risk because they do as the nature of vaccines. Yep. But overall, rewards outweigh the risks. And I absolutely think you should vaccinate your children. And I'm like, I'm now putting a check next to that one. My trusted expert has told me this. And similarly, we were talking about back to school. My trusted expert is my kid's principal, who I have the extreme privilege of like respecting and believing in. And she's like, we have done a ton of work and we have come up with this specific hybrid model that meets the guidelines in these ways. And I'm like, my trusted expert says yes, I say yes. I think that's beautiful. And that's another layer beyond my instincts. And I feel like the book is predicated on that theory, which is like trusted expert. Yeah, it is. It's the idea of inform yourself and then think about what works for you, your baby, your family. And I think those it's so important. And I say this in the book, too, that it's really important that you find a pediatrician that you can trust because there are going to be times when your kid is ill and you are so tired that you cannot think rationally. You can't read all the research. You're going to need to rely on someone you trust to make, help you make a decision in the moment. And so having, you know, principal, like the adults in your kid's life that are part of the most important parts of their world, like their school, you know, their medical care, like find people that are good people that you really do trust that are aligned with you so that you're not constantly, you know, always having that battle. Like, can I trust them? Or if they're saying this, I should go against them, which maybe isn't even the case. But, you know, it's really important that we have that. And I think it's so important, too, that, you know, we remember that, yes, inform yourself and then do what works. Because a lot of things that work for one kid might not work for another. I mean, I had friends who came to me and they were like, <laughs> my baby's sleeping through the night. It's so perfect. And, you know, I'm like, okay, I don't want to hear it, number one. And, you know, like I tried a million things with my kid and he was just a terrible sleeper until he was about a year and a half. And so sometimes when our kids are not like the stories we're hearing, either we're not talking to people, the right people, or... Our kids just different from other kids in that way. And it's really important that we try not to compare and judge and that we just really love him. Yeah. Trust development. I think that's one of my favorite phrases. I learned it from Dr. Michael Thompson, who wrote a bunch of books called. Yeah, I love him. Oh, we know we talk about him all the time on the podcast. He's like one of my all time favorites. And probably the book I have gone to the most for my own parenting help over the years is his book called It's a Boy. And the message I got from him over and over and all the times I heard him speak in all his books was to trust development. And I think we get so neurotic as parents about like, you know, if my kid, you know, like I didn't have any toy weapons for a while when my boys were really little mm -hmm. and they would chew their grilled cheeses into guns. Yep. Throw pillows, <laughs> whatever it takes. Yeah. And I would buy these little baby dolls so they could nurture them and they would like whap their faces on the side of the door to see if they could get their heads to come off, you know, <laughs> and baby dolls. I mean, pretend <laughs> ones, just to be clear. And 
there were times I was like, oh, my gosh, like, is this mean my kid's going to be violent? Or if I let him sleep in the bed with me tonight when he's sick, does that mean he's never going to sleep in my own bed? And we do a lot of that fear based parenting. And I think it's so important to remind ourselves, like every moment and every week and every month and every chunk of months, those are all phases. And as soon as you get something figured out with your kid, they change again. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of things you can't change. And like if you and your kid, like my philosophy about sleep is do whatever gets the most people in your family the most amount of sleep. I don't care if they're in your bed, on the floor, in their bed. Like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. In the long run, eventually, everybody will be sleeping in their own bed, unless there's something really pathological going on. And then in that case, you should contact a <laughs> professional. But really, that kind of stuff doesn't matter. And that's what I think is so liberating about the knowledge is that we can say, gosh, you know, whether I sleep train my kid or not, whether I, you know, lick their pacifier, whether I use DEET or not, whether or not I use cloth diapers, whether or not, you know, all those things in the long run, they really are not make and break life and death kinds of things. And I know we want more than just survival, but what I'm saying is kids can turn out great with lots of different ways that parents parent them. And so that should be really liberating. And the other thing that should be really liberating is we do make a lot of mistakes as parents. And for me, when I get that pang, that feeling in myself, it's like, oh, damn, I wish I had known this or, oh, gosh, I feel bad that I didn't do that differently. When I get that feeling, I really try to like take a deep breath and celebrate. I don't always do this, but I try to get to this place where I go, okay, if I'm feeling this way, this means I have evolved. I have grown. I have learned something new. Like if I were to read my middle school diary and think it was awesome, what would that say about my development, my evolution, right? <laughs> Good question. I read it and I am mortified, right? I'm like, oh, that's so embarrassing. But that means that I've grown up, right? So this is a good thing. We should have regrets and we should have moments of feeling some maybe even guilt or those kinds of things. But don't dwell in them. Go, you know what? Focus on how awesome your kid is anyway. And just say, that means I've learned and grown. And how was I supposed to know that? So I think we should be really gentle with ourselves. We love, love it. it. That message is what Fresh Hell podcast approved. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell you one other quick story that I can't believe I'm actually going to share, but <laughs> share away. I shared in the book. Otherwise, I wouldn't have the guts. This is just such a like new mom thing. We had gotten one of those diaper genies as a shower gift, and we were living in rural Texas out in the middle of nowhere. And this thing did not work. It was not there was something wrong with it. And so it was our first outing after my son was born. He was probably three weeks old. We boxed it back up. We took it to the local Walmart. And it was about 20 minutes after we got home, I was nursing because, you know, they eat every like hour yep. when they're newborns. And by the way, my boys are 14, 17 and 20. We are back on the newborn <laughs> feeding schedule. I mean, yeah. they eat like nobody's business. There's a lot of snack meandering, especially during COVID. But my husband and I realized about 20 minutes later, I looked at him and I was like, you emptied that thing out, right? And so we, <gasps> he did not. We returned a diaper genie full of dirty diapers back in the box. So it looked brand new. I mean, this is so, if, if someone out there listening. Oh my God, just sit in a warehouse somewhere. What is the statute of limitations on this crime? You should have researched that before admitting to it. I know, I know, I know. But you know what? We're going to do dumb things like that as new parents. You know, you're just not new self. And you know what? That's also one of those things that, you know, it happens throughout your kid's lifespan, too, that we're going to do things that are we look back on and we go, OK, what was that about? I was a crazy person then. And I liked what you said, Margaret, about 
different needs in the house. And my rule is kind of like, whoever has the biggest need gets their needs met first. And sometimes that's me. And sometimes that's the kid. These are tools and strategies and ways to be intentional as parents. But we are going to be in survive mode a lot of the time. And that's okay, too. So Tina, your new book is called The Bottom Line for Baby from Sleep Training to Screens, Thumb Sucking to Tummy Time, What the Science Says. Tell us where we can find the book and where we can find you everywhere. Yes, my website is tinabryson.com. And I'm posting the most new content on Instagram. And my handle there is Tina Payne Bryson. The book can be purchased anywhere books are sold. And the book is out now. You can order it wherever books are sold. Great. We'll be putting a link up on the uh, notes for this episode on whatfreshhealthpodcast.com. So you can just click there to find it quickly as well. Tina, thanks for talking to us today. Thanks, Tina. Thank you so much for having me. Everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks.